Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Uttang dhammang sangang namasami So the way that uh, the words work or don't work is that we sometimes get confused over mindfulness and attachment, awareness, these these words. And how can you mindful seemingly you're kind of um, really f- fixing your mind onto something and yet you're supposed to be practicing non-attachment. Not fixing your mind on anything. So this kind of um, conundrums can occur. Partly because, uh, you know, it's the very sense of non-attachment is actually is, uh, in Dhamma. There's two or three different ways you can talk about that. Mm. First of all is viveka, which means something like non-involvement, means you're not getting, you're not bonding to the topic. You're kind of separating yourself, so you actually get some perspective on what's, what's going on. You're not in the story, but you're noticing you've got a story. You're not just bonding to the images and the, the emotions that rise up, but you're noticing them. So the sense of non-involvement is you're not taking a, stand for or against, but you just want to be able to step back to get things in perspective. This is a basic, as we might say, the first uh, stage, the first thing we establish through being mindful, in order to be mindful, is you step back. So you're not bonded. Viveka, eka means one, and viveka means you're not one. In other words, you're not unified with the th- what experience is going on. You're you're getting some sense of uh, perspective on it in order to understand it. And that's the setup of mindfulness. It means you bear something in mind rather than, rather than are carried along by it. So it's con- making things very conscious. And when you do that, you begin to recognize what, uh, what letting go and, and, uh, is about which is another way of talking about non-attachment, is that cert- the energies that bond you to things, you're putting, you're challenging those. Passions, the fears, the uh, grudges, the uh, worries that throw us into our stories, throw us into things. You know, so you're pulling against that. Mm-hmm. So you can very easily f- sense these experiences when they come up. Something comes along, and it, 
topic or a concern comes up or, or a thing we're fancying or imagining in the future and you're in there, rather like a dream. You, you are, there's no sense of objectivity, you're just in there with it. It's, it's running you. Yeah. And then at some time or another in that process when you're awake uh, and you've got some sense of wanting to you know, come to terms with what's going on, there's a moment of recognition. Hey, what's happening? Now then we can start to react to the story. I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't have this feeling. Uh, what's the Why am I like this? Uh, what's it going to be like? What if I keep thinking like this? What will happen? Why, is it, why am I like this? And this is these are the wrong ways of attending. The right way of attending, called Yoni Sikara, means careful attention, means you start to contemplate, hey, this is, this is suffering, isn't it? There's some stress in there, there's some being caught. So you establish mindfulness. What's going on? What's the, you know? So you start establishing mindfulness, you start to take one of those topics. And this is where this uh, process of insight comes in because it, you investigate and you see that any topic that your mind is in, there's a certain image, perception, could be, uh, you know, you're going to buy a new car or something. There's, oh, mind, you're thinking of cars or particular things you'd like to have in it. There's that image, mental image going on. There's a feeling with that. Pleasure, probably something you're anticipating. And then, of course, then there's an activity, which is the push, the pushing into that. Oh, that'd be good. What of that? How to make that work? And all that goes on. You start to separate those qualities. You're not dismissing them. You say, just focus on one of those at a time. Just take one of those. And you take one of those specifically as it is, like image of the Khan. It's just what it is. You know, there may be some pleasantness going on with it. Generally, it's, it's, you can't really separate perception and feeling. But you can separate those from this ac- activation, these activities of of greed or passion or fascination or worry or anxiety and so on. You can you can do that. Then you hold a thing as it is in itself, you see, it's sort of without the activity, without this mental engagement going on, it's just what it is and it sort of loses momentum. So all of the um, stress and the suffering is caused by this activity, this pushing, craving thirsting, resisting, trying to figure out, trying to make something happen, worrying, guilt, these activities of sankara. So if we can just kind of separate from that, then that's that's the function of mindfulness, as you bear something in mind, exactly as it is. And mindfulness is a very specific quality. It makes things specific. So when you train in mindfulness, you cultivate something like specific awareness of a moment at a time of a breath, the experience of a breath, or the experience of walking, pressure in your feet, movement in your body, the whole body. You focus on something you can manage to keep in mind, you can bear in mind, you can stay with it. It could be the sensations, general sensations of your body, particular area of your body. Breathing in and out. You stay with that. But all the time, you 
working to make it very specific. So it's not really the breathing, it's just this, 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 this is it happening. It's not really the walking, it's just this, 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 this as it's happening. And you, you know, what will tend to happen for an ordinary mind is that the, those things become generalizations. So rather than specifically where the moment of a sensation occurring, there's a sense of, oh, I'm doing walking meditation, um, yeah, what should I be doing, should I focus on this or the other? You go into a generalization called walking meditation. Or generalization called mindfulness of breathing. So, but there in the, in the process of meditation, that, that particular exercise, you want to come out of that, go back to the direct experience. Because you see that it's actually in the generalizations that stress builds up. How long is this going to go on for? How long am I doing it? Am I doing it well? Where does this go to? Is there another way of doing it? And or then it starts, then the mind picks, gets caught in this generalizing procedure, process, and it starts to slip off into its own agendas. Process called propuncha or proliferation. It begins with a generalization. It's part of it. And it's, an, it's a big thing because uh, most, that we, most of our world is created around generalizations. Monday, what's that? Um, monastery, well, what's that? Which bit of the monastery do you mean? Which day? Whether the birds, the trees, stones, grass, pillars, buildings, kitchen, whatever, you know, which bit do you mean? You take one bit, meditation hall, even that, what do you mean? <laughs> Walls, roof, ceiling. <laughs> then, well, you take that, you take something like the, the floor. Well, what do you mean by the floor? <laughs> you mean the visual impression? Tactile impression? What do you mean? You know? And most of the time we work, we're holding these concepts, these generalizations. But, and in that, it doesn't seem like it's particularly a problem. But around that, moving into generalizations, we come into what the mind holds in its generalization process. And actually things only occur specifically. Life is only a specific thing, moment at a time, actually. But our brains or our minds, and somehow in that system, that's converted into a concept. It's very useful. So that we are, get an idea of a meditation hall or an idea of something, and you hold it as an idea, and then you can juggle that idea around your mind and think of what you can do with it, how you can improve it, clean it, fix it, change it, sit in it, where you're going to sit in it, so on. All that can be done. So that's that's what humans do. We organise like that. But actually, only what happens is sight, touch, taste, arising of a thought, isn't it? There's no meditation hall. Sight, touch, perceptions arise, images, 
And where this becomes, of course, extremely uh, to the point is the generalization that we walk around with called me. What do you mean? <laughs> and yet it's a generalization that one gets familiar with. It's got, a, it's got issues, it's got agendas, it's, it's a source of considerable concern. Um, a lot of interest in it. You know, there's a lot of lamentation, trying to change it. What is it? What do you mean? What is it? Sight, sound, touch, thought, memory, perception, impulses, skillful, unskillful, confused, bright, aspiring. Okay, well, any one of those will do. Which one do you want? None of them, none of them amount to me. There's no Ajahn Sichito. His generalization called it. I'm a generalization. <laughs> but that's not a problem because you are too. <laughs> and it sits kind of handy. You know, you, put your, you can put your hat on a generalization. <laughs> you can uh, write letters to a generalization. And yet, in that, something seemingly obvious and innocuous and everyday is that there's suffering, there's stress. In all of it. For a start, because uh, the, the, the whole experience of making a generalization with a concept is something that well, you can hold. So you can figure it, you can hold it there, make it this way, that way. And you realize, actually, reality doesn't do that. It doesn't hold. It's changing, it's flowing. So in the reality of I am, that experience, or that, that generalization, that's always changing and shifting. So you're trying to put it against the model of, of something that's definitely there, and you can get to work on it, and it keeps slipping away. It's, it's shifting and changing. So there's suffering and stress in that. It's impossible to hold the concept of I am without some inclination to do something about it. Perfect it, change it, hold it steady, understand it. You can do something about it. That's, that's what we mean by stress. It, you, whatever you do to it, about it, it will require more. You get it figured out, you think you've got it figured out, it'll do something, you know, you can write a book about it. <laughs> it will change. And it will require something else has to be done to it. So that's suffering and stress. It's not anguish, but it can be. It can be extremely painful. People will kill themselves because of these I am's. Just that very setup is already a source of 
irresolution, inconstancy, having to support, having to get it going. And then when the bad stuff happens, it's really bad because the guilt comes up or the, the, uh, the anger comes up or the shame comes up and then that, that just pervades the whole concept with this quality of pain and misery. Over what? You know, you drop a perception in like being blamed, somebody's blamed, and this huge sort of global effect comes of feeling either guilty or angry or resentful or I am stupid or I am somebody's my enemy or something like that. This, you know, because we've, we've almost created, unconsciously of course, a crucible to contain various kinds of stress in. It's called I am. And it's, it's in the generalization. But you come down to specifically what are you talking about. You can talk, you think, well, there's a perception. Generally what we're talking about is a particular <coughs> activity, like mental agitation, um, concern, uh, joy, happiness, misery, depression, feeling unworthy, something like that. One particular thing specifically occurring. You say, fine, well, let's look at that. Could that occur without some perception, without some image? Can you feel guilty without having something to be guilty about? You know, you forgot somebody's birthday. Okay. So if we just go to the sense of being, put that, it's okay, go, forgotten somebody's birthday, not a good thing. Right? Just put that on one side and then you go to the very sense of this, this stirring feeling, this stirring movement of the mind. Say, well, let's just deal with one thing at a time. Deal with the stirring feeling. Well, the stirring feeling is not sticking it to the perception it just stirs, and it looks for something to feel guilty about. Something to feel irritated about. Something to feel needy about. It's always pretty, pretty good. Well, put one of those in. <laughs> Sky's the limit of things I could fancy and need and, you know, prove on. But it has to stick to a perception of some kind, image of some kind. So with mindfulness and investigation and insight, you're, you're just deliberately just not resisting the, the, the images, you're just separating them, putting them apart. You know, what's actually there, specifically. So this is working against something called upadana, or, which is another word which sometimes translates attachment, which is called uh, grasping or clinging or compounding, sticking together, taking something as a support. Because what these generalizations do is they give us a definite thing to be thinking about, wanting, being fond of, being peeved by, 
feeling indignant about. <laughs> You've got to have one of these, otherwise it doesn't work. <laughs> There's that wanting of this something to get going on, you know, to get this stuff happening on. And sometimes these these are programs, self-destruct programs, something to feel bad about, something to feel inadequate about. And they just lash around looking for something to hang on to, to find, to get fixated upon. Something to find a problem with. And because we live in this uh, conventional world of generalizations, it's like this is the uh, this is the area that we have to keep, you know, coming to terms with. You talk about the sangha. Wow, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, living in it, I don't know what it is, but I know it's a pain. <laughs> If, if you hold it like that, because there is something you've got to sort out in it. I mean, there's only definitely hundreds of thousands of people in it doing doing what they're doing, you know. And there's something you've got to figure out about it, or deal with, or settle, or dispute, or allay, or, or fix, or make work, or support. Or get, gee, well, I thought this is about enlightenment. It's just another pain. But it's a test, it's like, you know, because it's something that notionally is a very good, very good idea. You know, lovely image. Very good. And naturally there's a lot of good qualities in that. But even when it's good, it still means something you've got to hold, keep going, worry about. Housing the sangre in the future, the sangre in the West, the sangre in Britain, the sangre at Chithurst, you know. <laughs> and you can create that out of it. I know this, because I can do that. You come down, actually, what are you talking about? And, uh, 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 yeah, well, uh, the, which, you know, which monk, which nun? Um, you realize you're not talking about anything apart from a worry. Or an anticipation, or an ideal. Yeah, okay. So, but you know, where's the where is it? And we we live in these worlds. So the function of mindfulness, or or wise attention, is to keep on the lookout for those experiences when they come up and say, hey, check this one out. Don't get caught in it. And your mindfulness, in investigation, you inquire into it and you place your mind on an aspect of it. You realize there's nothing really there. It's empty. Just the general agitation. <laughs> 
Buddha called it the smoke fumes, the smoke fumes. There's a general stirring of something they feel worried about or hope for or keep going or regret or feel peeved, fed up with or something by. There's this smoke swirling around trying to find something solid. And if you let it, it will find, it will make something solid. There's this uh, program they used to have on television years ago. It shows how old I am. Probably some of you don't even know about it. It was a quiz game called um, Take Your Pick. And in the middle of this quiz game was this thing called the Yes No Interlude, which was five minutes. Remember that? No. Five minutes long, this was. And so what happened was that the, the compare would have this guy, the, the competitor would come on and he'd say, for the next five minutes, you can't say yes or no. You get it? And he go, yeah, hug dong. And the guy would ring a gong and say, you, you just lost it. <laughs> so he'd say, I understand what you're saying. So, okay, your na- what is your name? My name is Roger. Your name is Roger. Uh, my name is Roger. Very good. We got past that one, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> And it was like he had this way, because what he'd do is he'd, ch- he'd change the frame of reference. He'd, he'd give you a simple question like, your name is Roger, and you'd say, oh, your name's Roger, and you'd say, oh, my name is Roger. You did say your name is Roger, didn't you? I said, my name is Roger. Okay, it wasn't Bill, was it? My name is not Bill, it is Roger. And you think you're getting away with it. you say, oh, well, you're doing re- really well, and uh, oh, it must be nearly time to go now. Yeah, gotcha. You know, he changed the reference from the specific to some sort of general statement about how the contest was going or how, you know, and it would always catch the guy. Very few people got through this five minutes without saying yes or no. And you think, that must be, can't be that difficult, surely. Yes or no, you just keep your mind out for those. But there will be somewhere where you'd, you'd act instinctively and go to automatic and that was that was the, that was the whole teaching of it, just to see how you'd lose such a simple, specific piece of instruction, and go to this automatic behaviour. Mm. It's that powerful, mm. and you can notice it. Say when you're doing walking meditation, how you know you get the idea of the path. And you want to walk to the end of the path. Already that's gone. <laughs> Dong, gong rings. <laughs> There's no path. <laughs> There's a visual impression in your, your body, the standing, sensations in your feet, inclination to move. Okay? Watch, watch, watch out, watch out. 
you get two or three steps and then you find you find you're getting into walking. Gong, gong goes again. You're imagining walking because as soon as you go into automatic, you can feel what happens. Uh, one thing that happens is um, you lose the specific reference to a sensation and you go into an overall perspective of what's this mean to me? How am I doing? And this I am comes in. First thing is just this sense of, is this interesting, useful? What's it mean to me? What's this mean to me? It's like, that's, that's the tag. That's the thing we're always interested in. What's this mean to me? What am I going to get out of it? How well am I doing? Is this the right way? You know, we, we want to find ourselves in that activity. And that's the first thing, that wanting to find yourself in that activity. And so, and as soon as you find yourself in the activity, you've lost it. The gongs should start ringing because within that you're going to start suffering. <laughs> Pretty soon, suffering's going to come along. There'll be the feeling of, am I doing the right thing? Um, which bit of, where should I be focusing? Uh, how long has this gone for? Is my path long enough? I've seen people suffer over walking paths. Like, you know, getting the right one. Is it the right length? Is it 25 pace or a 30 pace? Or maybe a 20 pace. Right direction. Some people feel that north-west, north-south is better than east-west. Slopes, sloping path, width of path, whether it's got trees or not, whether it's secluded open space, you can get into really a lot of suffering over a walking path. (laughs) Somebody says, there isn't a walking path. There's just sensation in your feet, movement in your body, stopping, moving. There's no path. You take the path out of it, you don't suffer over it. If you put it in there, you're going to suffer. You're going to get bored with it. You're going to think, well, maybe in one with a bit more sunshine it would do me better. Or maybe I'm not secluded enough. I feel kind of intruded upon. Or, you know, if it was five paces longer, so I, you know, I'd feel less constrained by it. <laughs> and then we think, I can't do walking meditation anyway. It just drives me crazy. So the I am is born in it. Because it doesn't work, because the generalization doesn't release, it gets boring, irritating, because all this comes in with it, we think, I can't do walking meditation. So we sit. And the same thing happens when you sit. You sit. I'm sitting here. What am I supposed to be doing? Breathing in and out. Oh, that's a really important thing to do. It's very important. They're always stressing mindfulness of breathing. Got to do some mindfulness of breathing then. Right. Suffering's coming. (laughs) Ring the gong. Suffering's about to happen. (laughs) Same sort of thing happens. But actually there isn't any breathing. There isn't any sitting. 
And there isn't anybody achieving it or getting good at it. <laughs> it's just this, whatever it is. Hmm? This is why it's all em- called empty. It doesn't mean nothing's happening, but whatever it is, as soon as you say what it is, you're going to suffer. So you leave it, let it be empty. It's just, it's not named, it's not definite, it's not known, it's not conceived of. Hmm? But there can be the sensation, the arising of that. And you're mindful of that, you're with that. So it's, it's sometimes it's uh, one of these uh, rather cryptic um, things in the scriptures where it says, you know, being in earth, he does not conceive of earth. He does not conceive, I am earth. I am in earth, I'm apart from earth. Earth belongs to me, earth is, he does not conceive in such a way. Because he is so completely in it, he does not conceive it. And this refers to the sense of solidity, say, yeah. And we do the same thing with breathing. Because you're so completely there with it, you don't, don't have any idea of breathing. You've got no concept of meditating. You're not conceiving it. You're not saying, I am meditating. I'm, I should be meditating. I'm not meditating. I'm meditating like this. It, that stops. That's the activity that stops. It's just, you know, direct. Hmm. Now, a lot of time for uh, many people, the times when we sit still, quiet, the time a lot of thoughts start happening. So again, being mindful of that, what, what is a thought? What is thinking? Well, first of all, what tends to happen is you don't have a thought, you have a train. It comes out of a tunnel. A train of thoughts. <laughs> All the pictures and images and noises come running out. And sometimes they get close and one really gets you. First of all, they're fairly just ordinary little trains chugging away. And then one comes in, it's a big one, carrying a lot of weight. There's some issue, something gets you. And you can feel yourself charged, electrified by that, gripped by that. What do you do? When we establish, <clears throat> we try to practice with this, is to start to just slow the thought process down, not to dismiss it, just what, you wake up to that, you step out of it by saying what it is. And the, the very simple, well-testified um, theme that many teachers... <coughs> Teaches, well, what the, where's this train going? You know, don't let's look at all the passengers, but just get the general idea. This is the worry train, or this is the resentment train, or this is the fantasy train. Okay, so you just get the basic emotional uh, charge of that. So what you're doing through that is simplifying and you come to something that's much more um, manageable. This is the process of uh, wise attention. You only saw Manisikara. You, you actually 
get a handle on that thing. Mm. You're not trying to question it, just, just get a handle on it. And you start to handle it. It's like you're riding a horse because it wants to throw you out into all kinds of proliferations and past and future and self and other. Should and shouldn't. But you want to actually just hold that thing to down to its, this is, say, the worry experience. And then what is it? What is, let's have really, then you get the look at that. There's a movement, there's a circling, there's a nagging, there's an agitation. The images come up with that, what to worry about. But what you really want to do in meditation is you almost get like the texture of it. Is it rough? Is it smooth? Is it slippery? Is it bristling? Is it spiky? Okay, or the movement of it? Is it rushing? So it really becomes something that's got a, you know, an object. The more you, the interesting thing is the more specifically you experience it, tactile or visual or auditory, the more specific it is, the less you're snared by it. So it's strange that the more you go into it, the less you're attached. Because the attachment always occurs in a deluded, deluded state where we're not, we're not handling it. <coughs> we're accepting it as this kind of uh, reality, strange reality. We're not holding it, we're not investigating it. So you have to get up close to get past attachment which is always in the generalizations. And you learn quite a lot from your thinking processes. Because they will tell you, the big ones, tell you some of the dominant um, generalizations or activities that are there in your life. Could be worry. Could be... um, you know, feeling embittered. I'm always left out. Could be feeling entitled. No, oh, I should, you know, I should be getting one. I get, you know. <laughs> Those are really important ones because they have the they have the power to create endless stories. These are, if you like, the the governors of the generalization experience. You know, where you get a certain random set of events and one of these things will walk in and line it up to fit the theme again. You know, you get a fairly random, random as it can be, and we will see the things that bring up my patterns. And they will be true. But... What we won't see is all the things that don't. So you get a very distorted perception. You line up the dots in accordance with this, these pattern-forming tendencies. <clears throat> so you want to know those. When you sit in meditation, on your own, your eyes closed, silent, nobody's actually there, apart from your mind. <laughs> Nobody's, you know, bugging you. Nobody's blaming you right now. Nobody, you know, well, they might be, but you don't know about that. So what's happening is you're getting a very good enough, 
representation of this is what's on your this is this is a printout of your nervous system basically <laughs> your psychology is just getting presented in front of you <laughs> but don't worry about it because it's empty yeah. if you go to it actually you know build up the resources to take one of those pieces. what do you actually those pictures in you come up who is that The person you're arguing with, who is that? Yeah. And who's doing the arguing? The thing you're, you're hungering after, what is that? And it's just like a, it's a nothing with all sorts of magnetism in it. Now, to breaking the spell, it's just by holding one of those. Clearly. Just clearly. Not with aversion. Not with an attitude. Just clearly. This is emptying. Because that... You're not... Keeping the current going. You're not using your life force to keep suffering going. And it empties it out. The emptiness doesn't sound in some way like a wonderful experience. But it really, it really means it's empty of greed, empty of hatred, empty of delusion. And the saying <coughs> is the, the story of the Arahant, Sariputta, going on arms round. And the Buddha said, well, did you walk on arms round? Did you see anything that could arouse his uh, greed, craving, lust, the reversion? And he says, yeah, I walked through a village abiding in the fullness of emptiness. <laughs> Seeing the emptiness of everything, I abide in the fullness of that. And the Buddha says, very good, Sariputta. This is the abiding of a great being. The abiding the fullness of emptiness. Because when things are empty, there's the fullness of awareness, the fullness of awakening. And it's like we turned the tide. So instead of our energy being bled, into a manifest manifestation which just nags at us, demands more, and doesn't take us anywhere good. We turned it back into the purity, the brightness, the happiness, the ease of awakening. Abiding in emptiness, in the fullness of that. Hmm. Seeing, touching, tasting, thinking. In the seeing, let there just be the seeing. Not the seen, no, it's empty. Not the seer, it's empty. Let it just be this, because that's exactly what it is. 
Amen.